Encouragement. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's really annoying. My voice is kind of, uh, you know, where you get that thing. Yeah. Mm. A little water. A little clearing throat. <clears> throat> mm. Better. Better. Hey. My voice is almost back to normal. I always stretch my back funky. I see a belly. Belly. Oh, man. I hope you guys have had a great week. Uh, mine has been exciting, to say the least. I've been busy, but, um, man, God is doing some awesome things in this great world of ours. Um, I want to start tonight by doing a little visualization, okay? So I want you guys to imagine that you are a boss of some sort of, of, of company, a business, whatever, does anyone have anything that they would, what, what would you be the boss of? Does anyone, in your mind right now, what, what are you imagining yourself as a boss of? Yes. McDonald's restaurant. You're the boss of McDonald's. Very good. Anyone else? What, what are you the boss of in your mind right now? Dunder Mifflin. Scranton? Yes. Okay. Very good. What are you guys the boss of in your mind right now? Because you guys Global got... Global domination is where Global domination. So like the, what's that league of people who want to destroy... No, I am the <clears throat> Okay. The boss of the world. Very good. You guys have to think. What, what are you the boss of? Get it in your mind. Because if you don't have a, if you don't have a venue, it's going to be hard for what I ask you to do next. So think of what you're the boss of and you just get that in your mind, okay? Very good. Okay. Now, shh, 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 shh. Not a group activity. Not a group activity. Now, as the boss, you have five employees. That's it. That's it. Five employees. Well, at least under you. Maybe there's other people, but... Okay. And whatever company you're in, whatever group you're in, imagine that you have to do some really big task. So, of course, you're not going to do it all on your own, right? You're going to take and you're going to dole these responsibilities out. Well, Jack works for you, okay? And you give Jack a task. Now, think in your mind, what task would you give him if you have to get something done in your company? whatever it may be in your mind. I mean, you give him a task and you give him time frame to do it and he comes back at that time frame and he hasn't done it. Didn't accomplish that task at all. Didn't even start on it. What would you do as the boss? Any ideas? Ask him why. He says, you know what, I didn't have time. What, what, what are you going to do as the boss? can ask him, okay, he still didn't have time. Maybe he's not even going to give you a reason. So he didn't get it done. What would you do? Write him up, warn him. You'd warn him, tell him this is unacceptable. Okay. So you, you tell him, okay, you, you tell him this is unacceptable, anything like that, right? You tell him, okay, well then fine, but next week then, I'm going to still need this project done, right? He comes back a week later and has, doesn't have it done. Not only that, but he barely even started on it. He scratched the surface of it, but really didn't go any farther than that. What are you going to do as a boss? You say fire him already? Anyone else? 
Too important not to be done? You say, you just fire him. Anyone else? Anyone else say, you know, I wouldn't fire him, but you'd fire him? Anyone else? Give him to someone else. What does that mean? Give the job to someone else. Very good. What would you do with Jake, though? Okay, give him, give him a different job. Give, you give him a different job. Okay, fine. So you give him a different job, but he comes back in a week, and you know what? He hasn't even done that job he just told him. You're just going to keep paying him and not, not expecting anything out of him. Let's get, let's get somebody who's been in the business world for years. He has much experience in leading people. Greg, what would you do? This guy's had three chances you've given him and you've told him, you'd say you're fired. Okay. You'd suspend him, give him one last chance, he comes back, and then, right? Why would you fire him? Right. Well, what's the point of having him there, right? Not only that, but don't you think if you kept him, he'd be a bad example to the people around? Because then what's going to happen, right, is Bob comes in and you say, Bob, why don't you get your work done? He says, well, Jake didn't do his. He's still sitting around here. He, you know, in fact, I heard of the fact that he hasn't been doing his work for three weeks and you're still paying him. Why in the world would I do work? Right? That's a pretty, that's a pretty reasonable approach. Interesting thoughts. Interesting thoughts. Some of you guys are more lenient. Some of you guys are more harsh. Last week, last week we started a series called, not a series, excuse me, a continuation called elbow grease elbow grease and i told you last week about hard work inside the church and the importance of it i told you this remember this line we shouldn't ask why should i but we should ask ourselves why shouldn't i when it comes to helping in the church when it comes to to getting stuff done that's too important we should unify together and accomplish as much as possible well this week i want to um i want to continue and we're going to continue with hard work on the streets, not in the church, but this time on the street. Yo. 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 Mike. Mike Hintz. Are you here for God tonight? Are you? Everyone else, you guys here for God tonight? Very good. Kristen Lieski. You want to learn tonight? All the rest of you guys, you want to learn tonight? Yes? Yes? Russell Piantek, are you willing to change tonight? The rest of you guys, you willing to change tonight? All right. Then we're ready. Then we're ready. I started by asking you those boss questions for a reason, not just for fun not just so we could have some time visualizing and think of yourself as a successful boss, which is a good idea, but there was a reason. What if God, if God, excuse me, not God, 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 what if God was your boss? What if God was your boss? What if God was your boss, you were the worker? What would your relationship look like? Would your relationship look like the one we just described between you and Jack? What would it look like? And you know, not only that, but is God that boss that we just talked about? 
Is God that same kind of boss? I want you guys, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke. And I want you to turn to Luke 13. Do you know that Luke is my favorite gospel in the Bible? Have I told you that a few times? Good. Has anyone else has anyone else found the same love for Luke that I have and has said, you know what, it's my favorite gospel too? Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Gospel. Read it a bunch of times and I, I guarantee you you'll think Luke is the best. It's amazing. Luke is amazing. John is John is crazy. He's on a whole different page. But Luke thirteen, I want you guys to look at six. Luke thirteen six. I want to read this to you, okay? says this, he told this parable, this is Jesus speaking, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming and looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Then cut it down. I bring this, this verse to you tonight for a reason. I believe many of us are in the exact same place as what this parable is stating. You see, in this parable, the landowner is God. And Jesus Christ is that gardener. And you are the tree. Many of us right now, when God comes to us and he looks for fruit in our lives, he comes up empty. And he says, what's the point? Man, what is the point? I took and I bought this ground. I take and I I nourish this ground. And this tree still won't produce fruit. Just cut it down. I think many of us are at this place right here in which Jesus steps in and says, please just give them one more try. Just give them one more year to try. And if not, then you can cut it down. You see, if we have a relationship with God, we should be, we should be bearing fruit. And don't think that Jesus is always going to be there to have your back and to try to protect you. In fact, if you take and you read um, back in, if you read in Mark 11, we find out that Jesus, when he gets PO'd at a tree, he also curses it and withers it because it didn't bear fruit. So we see the fact that really he shares some of the very same mindset. You cannot remain unproductive and unfruitful in God's soil forever. It won't happen. It won't happen. God will tear you out and cast you away. So what this parable is saying. What is fruit, though? Because that's really the question, right? What is fruit? <clears throat> well, fruit is a means of travel for seeds. You know that? <clears throat> I mean, of all the things that, you know, you would think is for, oh, it's for me to eat. But what fruit is, is fruit is a means of travel for seeds. Animals will eat this fruit, then they'll take and they'll digest, the seeds will stay, and they'll go and they'll drop these seeds off as they poop them out with beautiful fertilizer in a different area of the world. And there grows a tree. There grows an apple tree, whatever. It's a means of, of, of moving these seeds. And what's a seed for? A seed is for growing another tree, another bush, another plant, isn't it? So what this means is that our fruit is our witness on the streets. 
our fruit is those means of travel, the actions that we do to plant those seeds, which are to tell people about who Jesus Christ is. Our fruit is our witness. Our fruit is our witness on the streets. Luke 8, which you can just go ahead and flip a little bit back. In Luke 8, starting in 4, it says this. <clears throat> While a, lar- a large crowd, excuse me, was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plant withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, but it was choked out by the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears, hear. He who has ears, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seeds is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. When I first heard this, this parable, um, it hit me really hard. It hit me really hard, I mean, deep down in my heart. And the reason why is that what Jesus is saying is if four people, if four people hear about the word of God and really grasp a hold of it, statistically only one of those four is actually going to make it. About one in four people who actually hear about Jesus Christ and get that knowledge in their mind are actually going to make it. Three of the four aren't going to. That was really harsh when I thought about that. It was really hard. Um, But just when I was reading through this again, this time it struck me a lot different, completely different than when I had seen it in the past, and it really goes right along with what we're saying here. I believe that these aren't just four options of what can happen, that they're not just four options of what can happen when seed is sown, but these are the four options. Not that they could be, But these are the four options that happen in us. There's no others. But these represent the multitude of people who hear and either do or don't. Now what this means is this. Which seed are you? If these are the four seeds, which seed are you? Either Satan stopped your belief before it really even got to start. Or maybe you sprang up, but you fell away during a time that was hard. Man, a time that was a test. Or maybe you're caught up by the world and you can't mature. Or you produce a crop 
And Matthew 13, 8 says it this way, 160 or 30 times what was sown. So which seed are you? If these are the only four, which seed are you? I'm sure all of us want to say, you know what, I'm that four seed, and I fell in good soil. But you know, when I look at my own life, and even when I look at other people's, and I don't want to judge, but I don't have enough proof yet. I don't have enough proof yet in my own life to say that I'm that fourth seed. I don't. Have you put in enough elbow grease to say that you're a 30, 60, or even 100 times reproductive seed? 30, 60, or 100 times reproductive. You and I still may be one of the other three, and we're just confused thinking that we're the fourth. You and I still might get choked out by the things of this world. You and I still might be the person who Satan steals away our real knowledge. You and I still might be the person who sprang up, but when the tough times get hard, you're going to fall away. Are you the fourth seed or not? Get real. And don't try to fool yourself, because I think even worse than just, just being that seed is thinking that you're the fourth seed. If you can identify the fact that you know what I'm not, well, then, then you have the option of actually doing something about it. Be real with yourself. Right now, think to yourself, have I ever even led one person to the Lord? And I don't mean the fact that someone else did all the work and you just caught them and said the sinner's prayer with them. That's not leading someone to the Lord. Leading someone to the Lord. Being the example of Christ to them and bringing them to a place where they understand their necessity for Jesus. Have you led someone to the Lord? It's pretty harsh, isn't it? Like I said, when I look at my own life even, man, I don't know if I'm that fourth seed or not yet. I don't have enough proof. I don't have enough proof. In Luke 9, which is right next door, the very beginning of Luke 9, in fact, probably if you have a Bible that's split up, the heading for that chapter says, Jesus sends out the twelve. Jesus sends out the twelve. It starts by him talking about calling these men that he had poured into, these twelve disciples that a lot of us know so much about. And he told them to go out to heal people and to speak the name of Jesus Christ and set the stage for him to come. And what's awesome about this is Luke 9 isn't that long. It covers a little bit of time. But if you go ahead and you flip forward to Luke 10, If you have a Bible that has a title, one chapter later, it says, Jesus sends out the 72. One chapter later in the Bible, he goes from sending out 12 people to sending out 72 people. One chapter. One chapter. Does anybody else get like freaking ridiculously pumped when you hear that? One chapter later. One chapter later, there was six times the amount of people going out to tell people about Jesus Christ. One chapter. Six times the amount of people. If Jesus didn't bring any of these people in, that means that each disciple was responsible for bringing six more people to know who Jesus Christ was. And say maybe even the fact that Jesus Christ was pretty powerful. Let's say he did half. That still means that each one of those people brought three people to Christ 
to knowledge of him in that one chapter. Or, you know, let's even say that maybe Jesus Christ is the superhuman man that we know him to be, and he brought 60 of those people. But that still means that in one chapter, those people brought another person to be a disciple of Christ. One chapter. You read what goes on in between there, it's not that much. It's not that much time. Man, that gets me amped. And it also is extremely convicting. Extremely convicting. This is hard work on the streets. This is the example. That he sends out these 12 men, and one chapter later, there's 72 to go in their place. It isn't enough to have concern in this life. It isn't enough to have a passion. It isn't enough to have a focus, to have a cause. It isn't enough to have an idea. That's not enough. You have to put real elbow grease into it. You have to put in the hard work. There have been people with ideas, thoughts, passions, goals for centuries that have done nothing. Have done absolutely nothing. You know, a lot of people, they say, you know what, that person has a lot of potential. You know what potential means? Nothing. Potential means nothing. Because without action, potential gets you nowhere. Until it's put into action, it means nothing. Can I make a confession to you? Yes? I am so sick and tired of going to church. I am so sick and tired of going to church. Do you think that going to church is the answer? you think going to church is going to fix the world? No. Being the church is the answer. Being the church every single second of your life is the answer. Going to church isn't going to do anything, and I'm tired of it. I'll be completely honest with you. Man, there are so many weeks that sometimes I'm just in a service or a meeting, and I just think, how much time am I wasting? And how much time am I just spending sitting here? This can't be the answer. The answer to this hurting, dirty, dying, and going to hell world is really, really simple. It's you. It's you. You are the answer. You and me and everyone else in this group sitting around you. We're the answer. I want to tell you this. I'm a mechanic, so I have a lot of, you know, mechanical, you know, uh, descriptions, but God doesn't use Snap-on. Do you guys know what Snap-on is? It's like the leading tool company for mechanics. When Snap-on sells you something, they don't just sell you a product. They're telling you they're selling you the best product. And in fact, it's guaranteed for life. If it breaks, we replace it. And not only that, too, but when an employer, when you come and say you want a job and he sees you have Snap-on tools, he knows that you're serious because those are a lifelong investment. That's literally how they sell you tools. We are the best, and we mean something. Our tools are shiny, okay? They're like mirrors. They glow. Our boxes are amazing. The drawers just whoosh, whoosh, perfect. Everything is perfect. God doesn't use snap-on tools. 
God doesn't use snap-on tools. He uses bent, misshapen, broken, and dirty tools. You and me. You and me. Bent, misshapen, broken, and dirty tools. I've been such a failure in my life. I've failed God more times than I can possibly imagine. I have cried at God's feet countless number of times, just begging God, please forgive me because I'm a failure. To this very day, I feel God on a constant basis. I have not got there yet. Man, I'm a screw-up. I let people down. I let God down. I don't do what he asked me to do. I do do what I'm not supposed to. I'm a failure. And so many times I just stop and praise God to think that he loves me and trusts me enough to let me do the work that he lets me do for him. Man, the fact that, just like me, I know a lot of you are connecting with this, but the fact that he would trust you, man, this bent, broken, dirty tool to be used to tell people of his name, of his perfect beauty. It's amazing. It's amazing. He doesn't use perfect tools. He uses people like me and you. But here's the reality with that. God might want to use you, but you have to put in the hard work. You. You have to put the hard work into it. Right here in in Luke 9, where we were just looking, Starting in in verse 57, this is Jesus Christ, okay? He's going out and he's teaching people. And these are literally the way that he's he's teaching. You'll, You'll think he's crazy. You'll think he's crazy. He says this, As they were walking down the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied this, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Guy says, man, I want to follow you. And he says, it's going to be hell. It's going to be hard. Man, other people, they have comforts, but I have none. You still want to follow me? So as it goes on here and it says, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus was crazy, wasn't he? Man, he was hardcore. You see what he's saying, though? Wholehearted dedication is what Jesus was saying. He said, you know what? This is what I want for you to follow me, and if you aren't willing to put in the time, just go home, man. Go home, watch TV. Kick back and relax. Don't, try if you're not willing to actually step into this. Man, this is what I ask of you, and I know it's hard, but it's because it's the greatest thing in the world. You have to make following him the very main thing. My mom today, we had this amazing conversation for two hours. I'm like, mom, I have to go finish my, my message. I have to write out the last bit of it, and we had this conversation that lasted two hours, and it was, it was awesome. We were talking about people following Jesus Christ, and she said this, and it's amazing. She says, you can't casually follow Jesus. You can't casually follow Jesus, or you'll become a casualty. 
She says, you can't. You think you can follow Jesus casually? You'll become a casualty. Because his dedication is hard. It's hard. You need to live your life devoted to God. Man, build a life that is solid in Jesus Christ. And when people see it, they see something special. They see something out of the ordinary. This is hard work on the streets. In Mark 10, 46 through 52, there's a story. And, excuse me, it's this man named Bartimaeus. It says this. When they came to Jericho, it was Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he had received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What's really cool about this is if you, if, if you read with some more insight, it's a cool story, but if you read with some more insight, it comes to this. You remember what, what Bartimaeus was screaming? He was saying, son of David, son of David. And it says this, the words for son in Hebrew and Greek have a broad meaning, including grandson, descendant, disciple, and even a member of a group. However, in first century Judaism, which is the time that this happened right here, Son of David was commonly understood to refer specifically to the messianic king promised in the Old Testament prophecies as a descendant of David. Thus, Bartimaeus was publicly confessing his belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And when Bartimaeus wanted his attention, he didn't just didn't say, hey, what he was doing is he was going public with his faith. He was shouting at the top of his lungs, I believe that you're the one you say you are. I believe that you are the Messiah. And you see what happened is it caught Jesus' attention, didn't it? He stopped and he said, go get that guy. Go get that guy and bring him here. He went public with his faith. We have to go public with our faith too. We have to go public. People should be able to see Jesus through us. The problem is, though, is this. People aren't willing to go public with their faith. Or if they are, a lot of times, the people who are willing to go public with their faith aren't actually willing to put any hard work in it. And they're just a catastrophe that makes a joke of it. You have to be willing to go public, and you know what? You'll see Jesus Christ just like Bartimaeus did. You'll see Jesus Christ. You'll see him come into your life. But do you actually care enough? Do you actually care enough? For some of you, there are strangers outside 
There's people you know, family members that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they're dying and they're going to hell. And you don't give a damn. You don't give a damn about them. And I know it's true because right now some of you are more concerned with the fact that I just said damn than the fact that I just told you that your friends and family are going to hell. There's people in your life that are dying and they have no promise in the future. They have no promise for what happens after they pass away. Man, if that's you, man, ask God to change your religious heart. Ask God just to tear it out, break it open. Man, melt down that heart of stone that's in you that's more caught up in religion and more caught up in, in who you are and what the law says. And ask for Jesus' heart. Man, ask your heart to break for the things that really break his. The things that really break his heart. Are you willing to work hard on the streets? Are you willing to say, I'm willing to put effort into this, to put elbow grease into this, to work more than just an average person would, because I really care. I care that people don't understand. Not as if I'm going to gain some notch in my belt by telling someone about Jesus Christ, but there are people who don't understand that I have the answer. And I'm going to work hard to make sure that they get an option. I'm not going to force it down anyone's throat, but I'm going to give them the option and tell them what the truth is that I know in my heart. Are you willing to work hard on the street? Man, there's so many different ways you can do it. Are you willing to be present for your friends? Are you willing to take their phone calls and be there for them at times that are hard? Are you willing to meet somebody's need? Are you willing to go meet people and to love on them, people who are complete strangers? Are you ready to share Jesus Christ? Are you willing to live a life that's worthy of admiration and worthy of questioning by the outside world as to what is so different about you? Are you willing to know God's word and to be able to share it? Are you willing to talk to people? Are you willing to smile at people? Man, to take time to remember somebody's name. Are you willing to help those who can't help themselves? Are you willing to let people know that your life is nothing without Jesus Christ? That your life is nothing without him? You know, I have this great idea of how we can solve all the world's problems, and what we're going to do is we're going to form another ministry. We're going to form another ministry. And every Friday night, I want you guys to commit. Every Friday night, I want you to commit to come here from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. I'm taking sacrifice this time of God, and I want you guys to say, you know what, anything else doesn't matter because I'm going to take and I'm going to join this ministry because I want to see the world changed. And you know, probably a lot of you would say, you know, I will. I will take and I will sacrifice because I want to be part of that ministry. Well, it's really simple. Every Friday from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, call one of your pre-Christian friends and go spend time with them. Call one of your friends that don't know about who Jesus is and go spend time with them intentionally, knowing the fact that when you leave, you want them to understand better who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in your life.
Set aside a time and say, I know I want to do all this other stuff, but you know what? I'm going to call one of my friends and say, man, how are you doing? Can we connect? Can we go grab a bite to eat? Because I care about you. What's been going on in your life? And just being able to be there to share, to show them love, to show them who Jesus Christ is. But are you willing to put in the hard work? Are you willing to put in the hard work? John Wesley, who is the, uh, the founder of the Methodist movement, has a great quote. He says, If I had 300 men who feared nothing but God, hated nothing but sin, and were determined to know nothing among men but Jesus Christ and him crucified, I'd set this world on fire. What could we do with three? What could we do with 13? What could we do with 30? What seed are you? What seed are you? Do you have enough proof yet to be able to say that you're the number four seed? That you're one that yields 30, 60, or 100 times what was sowed into you? Are you willing to put in the hard work? Are you willing to be that tree that gets that last chance and says, I'm going to bear fruit? Are you just going to take and sit back and wait for God to tear you out and throw you out of his kingdom? Because you're not worth being in his soil. Man, it's time for hard work. It's time for hard work. I told you a story at the beginning of my message last week about my grandfather. Do you think you're finished? Do you think you're done? I think if Jesus Christ was here tonight, he'd say the same words my grandfather did. You don't even have a good start yet. Get back to work. Put some elbow grease into that. Put in the hard work. I want to pray to finish tonight, but I also want to give you a chance. Because when I... When I wrote this message, when I prayed over it, I felt some of the strongest conviction I ever have in my life. And I prayed that that same conviction would fall here tonight. And like in pre-service prayer, if you were here, God's conviction doesn't fall because he hates you, because he wants to hurt you. It falls because he loves you and because he wants to see the best for your life. So I want to give you a chance tonight as well after we pray that you can come and you can find a place at God's altar. You can find a place in your seat quietly for a few minutes. And maybe you need to ask God for some forgiveness. Maybe you need to ask God, I really need your heart. Maybe you need to bring to God tonight true dedication and say, I will be that fourth seed and I will produce fruit. I'm willing to do the hard work. Or maybe tonight you need to come and you need to ask for salvation because you realize I don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ and I want one. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you how much Jesus means to me. None of us are worthy, but Jesus paid for us. He paid for us because he wanted the best for us. He said, all you have to do is you have to believe in me and man live for me. 
He says, I have, the, I have everything else planned out for you for all eternity. I want to pray with you to end. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you just for this time that you have even given us here. And God, I pray to you that you would just break our hearts. I pray to you, God, that that you would just put a heaviness in our heart to know what seat am I? That if we're sitting in the same place as this tree in which you say, man, if you don't start producing fruit, I just have to get rid of you. Man, let that conviction fall on us tonight and show us. I pray tonight, though, Jesus Christ, that your Holy Spirit and you would just be here tonight. And that those that come and are willing to step out to get down on their knees, Lord God, or to silence themselves before you, would immediately, Lord, feel your presence and would know that you're here, that you're here to change. You're here to bring restoration. You're here to bring success. Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for who you are. And Lord, we want to work hard for you. It's in your name that I pray, Jesus, and in your name that all this glory goes. Amen. I saw the Lord.